Your attention, please. please. Listening to the AMPM podcast may cause recurring revenue streams and unfair, unfair advantages over your competitors. Other side effects may include better wallets, fired bosses, and longer vacations. Listen at your own risk. Here's your host, seven-figure entrepreneur and online marketing madman, Manny Coates. Manny Coates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host. And this is the show where we discuss all things Amazon private label and how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show. Get it? AM, PM podcast. As a matter of fact, our team here at the Helium 10 office is growing like crazy and we are looking for a larger office space. So we were just out looking at some of those really cool spots. And while I was looking into increasing our square footage, I was making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the AMPM podcast. I'm super excited this time because my guest today, Miss Kayla Miles, is the first person we've actually had on the podcast that hasn't sold on Amazon yet. How are you doing, Kayla? I'm good. How about you? Good, good. So this is kind of a cool, cool concept because you've gone through, I would imagine, most of the processes, the things that people have to do before they sell. And I'm getting you where your brain is fresh. You haven't been corrupted by anything after the launch yet, right? I ran into you because you were on our Facebook group, the FBA High Rollers, and you had posted a pretty long post about what not to do and what you should do, which a lot of people responded to. And it was from somebody that hadn't even started selling. So I thought that this was cool. You put yourself out there. And that's the kind of person that I'd like to have on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Um, Well, I started Amazon FBA in 2017. I looked at a lot of products, probably over 10 or 15 products, and I went through the motions of analysis paralysis, whether to launch them, and for whatever reason, I would contact suppliers, and I just wasn't getting some of the feedback that compared to a lot of other people. And uh, my first, actually my first product that I was going to source, it became like a mold issue, and I'm like, I'm a beginning seller. I've never dealt with a mold, so what do I do? They quoted me 2000 for a mold. At that time, I thought it was expensive. But now looking back, I realize how much, how cheap that actually was. So that was kind of a gut. It was kind of blow to the gut because I, I just didn't know what to do with mold. So I was like, okay, I just need to let this product go and look for another product, look for other products. And then it, it was just another me too product. Like anybody can make that. I feel like if you just have one product then anybody can copy that and it's just right for hijackers. Anybody can produce it. Anybody can manufacture it. The best product to me is finding something that you can bundle that makes it very hard for someone to copy. Okay. So your first product is going to be a bundle? Correct. Is that what you're looking for? Okay. And you're differentiating it outside of the bundle as well? Are you going to be doing anything with a mold or changing it? No, there's no mold involved, which I'm fortunate I am bundling it. However, I'm also using different suppliers. And a lot of people, what they do is they let the manufacturer do everything. And I feel like that's also right for hijackers because if they know your whole production line, they're going to know what exactly you're selling on Amazon. So you kind of can skirt that by using multiple suppliers and then using a prep service, whether in China or the U.S., to prep your final product and then send it into Amazon. And 
now even with Amazon switching or Amazon changing their storage fees, you almost want to use a third party logistics supplier because you'll it, it's so much cheaper than to go in to send it into Amazon because you're going to be spending so much in storage fees. Yeah, that's what we do. We send in what's needed. We're calculating how much we're we're selling per day. And then we have a facility that stores everything. And then we send it in as needed. The only culprit to that, guys, is if you're going to be going into a something that's seasonal or there's going to be Cyber Monday, Black Friday, something like that, you want to kind of make sure you have a lot of stuff there at Amazon. Otherwise, you could run into a problem where you run out. Or worse yet, if everybody is shipping in because of that, if it's Christmas or if it's something like that, the wait times to actually get in, where it normally takes you know less than a week, can now take a month. So you have to keep that in mind. But I like your mindset on that. So you feel like probably because you've heard a million stories online, right? Where a manufacturer does everything from A to Z, they finish it, they ship it directly from there. They're actually even in many cases, the logistics company, they'll ship it directly from their factory to Amazon. And then you feel that if they have everything, basically you've given them the keys to a good product. Yeah. It's basically you've given them the blueprint of what to do on Amazon. So why would you do that? So you don't even tell them that you're selling on Amazon. Is that right? No. It just say you have maybe a brick or mortar or some shop and that's about it. But you, you kind of want to keep the information as minimal as possible and only what they need to know. Okay. All right, cool. And then we're going to be jumping around a lot here. You hit on a few points. Before we do that, though, are you full-time doing this now? Is that, or do you have another job as well? No, I actually have a nine to five. So it's a little hard to do this and my nine to five, but I work on it almost every day. How did you learn? Talking to you before we got started and also based on what you've posted online, seems like you're ahead, at least in terms of knowledge for jumping into Amazon and making it big. What did you do? I took a few courses. I went to a couple conferences and throughout, I learned so much during the conferences and I just took that knowledge, came home, started reading, started applying that information. And I, I that's why I kind of know so much, even though I don't have a product out, but I feel like I'm really prepared now to get a product out and I kind of know what to do because of that. Okay. And you mentioned online, you said, hey guys, be careful about what course you take. Tell us a little bit about that. There are certain people out there, whether it's a course or people who are trying to teach you about Amazon FBA that don't really teach you everything. And it's more like a get rich quick kind of scheme. And they don't really focus too much on their students. And they leave out a lot of information. When I went to and it's kind of like a bubble. So you only learn so much because of that particular person. Whereas you branch out into many groups, whether it's Facebook, a little bit on YouTube, you go to conferences, you'll, your knowledge, the, the bubble, it's no longer a bubble because you're branching out and you're learning different things from different um, sources. Okay. Yeah. I feel like if you stay kind of within one, one group, you're not really learning much because you're contained. Right. No, that's a good point. It's kind of like mixed martial arts, right? If you only know karate and then you go up against a wrestler, you're done, right? So if you can take five, six, seven different disciplines, you become very well-rounded. So that's what you're saying here. Don't just learn from one place. Maybe take two courses, go and watch a bunch of videos. I taught the same stuff when I was first uh, starting out. I said, man, I'd go into the showers with headphones or not headphones with the Bluetooth speaker and I would learn from as many people as I could, right? Yes. And also podcasts too. It's interesting because sometimes somebody will contradict somebody else and you got to dig deeper and you got to be thinking, why is this person saying go really light and small where somebody else says go really big and oversized and you got to kind of figure it out, right? Correct. Are there any courses that you really liked? 
or disliked? <laughs> there were some that were good for as a beginning seller, but I felt like when I got to a certain point, granted, I don't have a product out yet, that it left a lot of information because I started getting information elsewhere and I was looking at the course thinking like, mm -hmm. why doesn't it not have this information in this course? So what else am I missing? You know, and so I just, I like to self, I like to learn. And so sometimes you just have to branch out and start learning on your own and figuring out things and try to find people who are a lot more transparent and what they teach and really kind of just lay it out there. And that from that, you can learn a lot. Now, you have also been very vocal about making sure to ask enough questions before you jump into something, regardless of whatever it is. It could be logo design. You actually ran into an issue with logo. You actually ran into an issue with a sourcing company. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I commissioned for a logo and basically I thought when you do that, you get all the vector files and you get everything that you're supposed to with a logo. Well, I found out I paid a certain fee. Thankfully, it wasn't a lot, but still it was a fee and they didn't have the vector files or anything. So I had to pay an extra $20 just to get that, those vector files. So that kind of let me down a little bit. And I, I was like, what is this? You know, what kind of service does that where you don't get all of what you asked for. So I guess it's best to try to ask as many thorough questions as you can when you're dealing with just other businesses. All right, cool. And then what about sourcing? What happened there? Uh, sourcing. So much with sourcing. <laughs> Tell us one good one. I, I think that is my, it's a huge pet peeve of mine. You had an issue with the person or the company that sourced because they were going to be taking commissions ongoing? Yeah. So in the beginning, I paid my fee already and nowhere in the fine print, there was nothing that they would ha take a commission out. So I had already paid my fee and they couldn't even source the product because that's when the tariffs kind of came in. And so that I just dropped it there because it was just going to be too expensive. But then they gave me the fine print and I noticed that they get a commission for about a year until your product is hopefully successful. Now, if it's not successful, you still have to pay them a commission. So... It, you just have to be very careful and ask very thorough questions and just do your research and read a lot. But it, there's a fine line between reading a lot and not reading so much where you don't do anything as well. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take action. This is pretty common, folks. When you find somebody that's really good at sourcing or even, I mean, I guess it would be even be companies and people that aren't very good. They're going to be charging you a percentage of your buys for the work that they do. And typically, if you find a good company, they're doing a lot of the legwork for you. They're going out. They're actually not only sourcing the product, but they're working with a the factory. They can potentially have boots in the ground there in the factory. And if you're packaging and doing things at the factory as well, they can help out with that. So, it's just a matter of what risk you want to take, how much you want other people to do things. It's a pretty standard thing. Those rates, by the way, are negotiable. Let me ask you, Kayla, you're about to start actually ordering your first products and getting out there. You're going in fully loaded with a ton of information. What is your expectation for your first 12 months in? Do you have a goal? I do basically to break even. If I, if I can do more than break even, that would be wonderful. What's break even? Break even basically means that Basically, what I put into it, whether it's a couple thousand, hopefully it costs that much to get back. So if I put in 3,000, then it costs me 3,000 to get that money back and break even. And if I can go beyond that and actually make a profit, that would be even better. What would be your goal for the year? Or is that your goal for the year? My, obviously, my main goal is to make a profit out of my first product. 
Okay. So you're just going to be taking it slow. You're not going in saying, okay, I want to take my seed investment and 10 exit in a year or anything like that. I would, I would love to. I mean, I'm gearing toward that, but I mean, at the end of the day, my, that's my lowest goal there is to break even and not hurt the bank. Yeah. How much are you going to be starting with? I'm going to be starting with anywhere from 10 to 15,000. Okay. Let's talk about that. Cause that's more than a lot of people start with. It's also way more than most people teach. What are your thoughts on your starting capital? At the lowest, you want to start around five or 6,000. If you want to be kind of comfortable, 10 to 15. And if you really want to do it, anything above that, because what people don't talk about is you have to reorder. So whatever you started with, you're going to have to double that. So if you started with five or 6,000, that's 10 or 6,000 and more for a reorder if you're getting sales, especially. And it's just going to keep increasing. So if you just only started at five or 6,000 and you have no other capital, where are you going to get the money to reorder? Well, you're going to have to take a loan. You're going to have to do other things to get that money, to get the cash flow. Yeah. And you're not a believer of small minimum order quantities. What do you look for? Uh, anywhere from a thousand to about 2000, depending on what the product, the market niche is too. And the reason why is because however you launch, there's multiple ways to launch. It's giveaways. 500 can go really quickly, especially in a giveaway. And then you're going to have to reorder quickly. So why put yourself through that and really give yourself kind of a win and just start out from the gate? If you did all your research, then you shouldn't be starting at $500. I mean, sorry, 500 MOQ. Yeah. Um, MOQ, I guess you'd start at 500 MOQ if you weren't really sure about Amazon and you just really were hesitant about that business model. Right. So let's back up a little for those that are new, just like you, but haven't gone through all the training. One of the problems that a lot of people have is they, they say, okay, hey, I'm going to order 500 units. I'm going to test Amazon. I'm going to see how this works. They quickly realize, okay, I've got to give away 200 units during a launch process in order to get my product ranked. That only leaves you 300. And then because your launch process works so well, you sell out very quickly. You're selling you know, 20 a day, right? So those 300 don't last you very long. It lasts you just a few weeks. And by the time you realize, oh man, I'm going to be out of stock here in just a couple of weeks, you have to place another order, which might take a month or longer. And at this point, you're like, well, I, I haven't even gotten paid by Amazon yet. Your money's tied up. So you have nothing to order. And it's kind of a waiting game. You've got to wait until it all sells out, wait until Amazon pays you. Then you have that money and you place an order and then you're out of stock for two months. Yeah. And then you lose your ranking with the BSR, the bestseller rank. And you basically, you have to start all over. So you just wasted all that cash flow when if you started with enough uh, units, then you could have been better prepared. And I would recommend for those of you that don't have ten dollars or $15,000, try to find as much as you can. You know, there's ways of getting money. Look around your house. Yeah, I was just going to say, sell things out of your house, a little bit of retail arbitrage or something like that. Yeah, get some money together. My very first business ever when I was first starting out and I was in my early 20s, you know, I cash advanced all my credit cards. I don't recommend doing that, guys. That's what I did. I had that fire. I wanted to do it. And I couldn't get a loan, but I had credit limit on my card. So I got cash and then I used that. So there's, it just depends on how badly you want stuff. You can find ways of doing it. When my friends go, oh, I can't raise five grand. I'm like, imagine that you had some kind of weird disease in your hand. They're going to chop off both your hands. Unless you came up with five grand in the next 30 days, could you do it? And they're like, oh, heck yeah, yeah I can. Yeah, you figure it out. <laughs> they yep. figure it out. You got to do the planning and figure out where you want to be. This also means you don't want to go after maybe the number one keyword phrase that gets you 30 sales a day, because if you don't have the capital to fund that- That's going to kill your inventory. Right. So start, maybe get go for an easier phrase, a long tail phrase, right? Something that has three keywords or four keywords in it that 
you know, is consistent and maybe all your competitors aren't going for that, you can use that phrase in your title. You can grow slowly with it. Especially when you're starting out, you don't really want to go with that main keyword and your cash flow is a little, you know, questionable too. So, because that, that's, you're going to put yourself in a bad position too there if you're not fully prepared for that. And also guys, know your numbers. I see this so many times where I'm talking to sellers and they don't know whether they're profitable or not. They think they are. Are you profitable? Yeah, I'm profitable. Well, what's your, what are your margins? What's your ROI? What does ROI mean? They're clueless about this and you got to know this stuff, right? It's critical. And I've seen this happen so many times in the Facebook groups where people thought they were making money, but after they factor in returns from customers, when they factor in their pay-per-click, when they factor in all the FBA fees, the shipping fees, the storage fees, as you mentioned, which can be crazy during Q4, they end up making no money. They gave Amazon two or $3,000 just for the privilege of being on there and selling stuff. And then they end up with less money than you started with. So know your numbers. I mean, they have a good accountant. You can use tools or various tools out there that track this kind of stuff. We have one in Helium 10 called Profits. Just use something so you know where your numbers are, guys. New sellers, they think their profit is what they can get from Alibaba or the supplier and pretty much that compared to the product and how much they can sell it for. And they're not looking at all these other factors, like you just said, with shipping, with, you know, there's all kinds of different factors, shipping, packaging. I don't think I've ever said on the podcast, we've done it in our AMAs or Ask Me Anythings. There's a Chrome extension for Helium 10 that you guys can download. It's free. And one of the new features, I think it was added in the last couple of weeks. If you're on a product page, let's say you're like, oh, I want to, you know, I'm going after this widget, whatever it is. You can click on that icon, the Helium 10 icon. And, and I don't know if you've used this, Kayla, but there's a profitability calculator now. If you click that, it opens up a window and it has just about all the fields you would need. You know, it has the storage fees and your shipping fees from China to the US and all the FBA fees, a lot of stuff that most people don't think about. And you could put that in there. And what's really cool about it is you can very quickly see what your ROI is going to be. You can see what your margins are going to be. You might be just like an inch away on the packaging to where the pricing for the FBA fees drop massively, right? You're like, oh man, if I just reduce it one inch on the width, I'll make an extra $2 per unit. And that's the difference between going having like a 3% profit margin and maybe a 20% profit margin. And that's free. It's a free tool that's out there, guys, if you guys want to check that out. I mean, eventually when you get your product out, you can actually, you can increase your ROI and your margin after you get things out because you can start looking at things like that. Okay, what can I cut? What can I do? Can I find better pricing here to really help my margin because it's so low? Yeah, absolutely. And guys, we've talked about this in the past. Compare what your supplier is giving you to other sourcing sites. 1688.com, that's 1688.com is a good one to go check out. It's kind of like the Chinese version of Alibaba. That sounds weird, right? Because Alibaba is mainly Chinese suppliers. For But 1688.com, have your Google Translator ready and you can actually take your product, find it there on 1688. You can actually see what the market there is paying for something. And we've done this and we've seen where we might be paying $3 per unit. And then you find some supplier on there that caters to the Chinese sellers and you can get it for half the price. I personally haven't ordered from 1688. My brother who handles the business has, my girlfriend has. I know people that do that, but I know most people use it just more of a price gauge to kind of compare with Alibaba. Are you going to be sourcing everything from China or are you looking to source elsewhere? So my product, I kind of ran into a snag in the beginning and for a minute I thought I had to drop that too. So I looked at a different way I could launch it. One particular item is US-based, but I can't put that in because of cash flow issues. So I'm going to wait until I can get profit 
and I'm basically sourcing everything in China until I can get the profit to include that other item. Okay, gotcha. What would be one of the big mistakes that you constantly see people making? You haven't started selling, but you see people posting about it constantly. Is there something that constantly pops up? The biggest, I think, is People say that an uh, NDA can't work, and they're actually right because NDAs don't work in China. They work in the U.S. and that they can't be enforced. Well, they can't be enforced because NDAs aren't used in China. NNNs, an NNN, which is a non-use, non-disclosure, non-circumvent agreement, is what you want, and you want that in Chinese and English. That's the contract that you want to use with suppliers, not an NDA. Interesting. So forget about the NDA, go for an NNN. Where does somebody find a template for an NNN? Can they just Google that? Uh, Not really, because a lot of people want to basically, I mean, it's a service. So talk to a lawyer who understands Chinese law. Um, There is a sourcing group on Facebook. Go to Sourcing Warriors. Yuping Wong, she's very good. She knows a lot. She's a Chinese lawyer. And I basically got my NNN from her. Awesome. That's cool. I hadn't heard anybody talk about that before. So there you go taught me something. So that's nice. What about any trade secrets? you have anything that's a little ninja tactic or strategy you can't wait to employ? A lot of people are worried about hijackers. And I feel like part of that is because people aren't protecting themselves where they source. So wherever you sell, whatever country you sell in, whatever country you source in, you should get a trademark in. So for example, if you're sourcing in China, you should get a trademark there. Why? Because China is a first use country, meaning if they're using if if they file for a trademark first before you, they are they have the authority to use that. So you should get a trademark in China to protect yourself because if your supplier kind of goes rogue and does their own thing, they can potentially take your trademark and they can stop you from even sourcing in China completely. Okay, interesting. I think we've covered a a number of things here that kind of reiterate what we've been teaching for a while on the podcast, which is start with enough money, right? Figure out a way to have enough money. Don't go in. I think the days of people saying, hey, you can start with $250 and turn that into six figures are pretty much gone. If you can do that, anyone can create a business. Anyone can be rich in that, you know, in that sense. Yeah. So I, I guess you would say, hey, if that happens, ask for proof, right? Start start asking questions to say, I don't believe it. Show me how you're doing this. That's where you need to ask thorough questions. Right. How are you getting such incredible ROIs and have such a lack of competition that you can turn that around that many times? Are there any products that you would stay away from? Uh, definitely. Actually, I, I have a list of all the products I went through that I figure that are basically me too products. Um, letter boards is one of them, and I still see people doing them. Uh, you can't differentiate that much. Um, letter boards, bath pad kneelers, um, the diaper caddy, I see that a lot. Cocktail bartender kit, um, the pet hair grooming kit, the beard aprons, steamer inserts for the um, instant pots. Um, the derma rollers that people are sourcing, all of that stuff is very me too. It's just one item that everybody can copy. Where, where can you differentiate that? What do you use to find products? You know what? I stopped using software for a minute. I started using software, but everybody's using the same thing. And they're, it's like what people say, everyone's fishing in the same pond. They're finding the same stuff. And my approach now, I in the beginning, I was like, I was like, oh, let me find a product, but now I want to build a brand. So my whole perspective on that has changed. 
And so now I'm trying to find products that are consumables or someone, something that people want to reorder all the time. All right. So you're going to get into the consumable market. A little bit. Yeah. Like the health business or is it for pets or humans? Uh, pets. Pets. Okay. Got you. I won't ask too many questions because you'll have a lot of people copying and jumping in. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I- all right. Perfect. Perfect. Guys, if you are not aware, uh, we've mentioned groups a couple times in here, Facebook groups. We have the FBA High Rollers group. It's got, I think, around 55,000 Amazon sellers in there. That's where I saw the post initially by Kayla. There's a lot of smart people in there, a lot of newer people as well. You can learn from a community. As Kayla mentioned, you want to try to get your information from all over the place. That's a great place to start. We've got a podcast, the AMPM podcast, which you're listening to right now. So just go back and listen to some episodes and get educated. Plenty of courses out there that are available to you. Some are good. Many of them are not good. One thing I would recommend for courses, guys, is make sure that you're getting something that's current, okay? Because if you're getting a course that's from even a year ago, the rules change so much that what they might be teaching in there could get you suspended now, right? Because the rules of Amazon every year is changing some. That's, yeah, that's definitely huge because I was part of some courses that weren't updating. And so that's where I had to branch out and figure it out kind of on my own. Right. Yeah. Check those things out. I've mentioned before, I'm a big fan of Freedom Ticket by Kevin King. Kevin delivers a lot of value. Check that out. Make sure you get your trademarks, guys. Uh, get all that going. But definitely check out the Facebook groups. Get in there. Kayla, if they want to reach you, is that a good place to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can reach me in the group at the FBA High Rollers. Cool, cool. Anything that we didn't mention here that you want to talk about before we go? Basically, trademarks is a huge thing. Get your trademarks because it takes six to eight months for a U.S. trademark. For China, it actually takes longer. It can take anywhere from a year to two years. Okay. Are you going to be getting trademarks in both U.S. and China when you launch your product? I am. I'm actually, I have my U.S. trademark is going through the process now. It should be done in the next, probably in November, December. And then my China trademark is in the process right now. Okay, so your products will go live well before your, your trademark's officially clear then, right? If all goes well, my trademark should be done before I launch, before my product. So uh, it'll be in good position. Very cool. Awesome. Well, guys, there you have it. Kayla Miles delivered a lot of cool information. I love the perspective from somebody who's about to launch but hasn't. They're at that point where they've just gone through everything. It's all kind of top of mind. You've got it right there, right? It hasn't been skewed yet by your experience. So it's very cool. What I'd love to do is have you come back on after you've launched and then kind of tell us about that experience because I'm sure there's going to be some stories there. Yeah, there's going to be some ups and downs there too, I'm sure. <laughs> right. And it will be really cool. So thank you, Kayla, so much for coming on. It's been a blast. Get ready for some questions. If you guys have questions for her, post in the FBA High Rollers group. I'm sure she'll be more than happy to help out. I will as well. Thank you for coming on. If you like this episode, definitely check out episode number 180. That's 180 to find out how I do A-B split testing of my images with a special service that I think is just awesome. Again, that's episode number 180. Check it out. You'll love it. You've been listening to the AM PM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.